0: Let's get into God's Word together, Hebrews 11, as we continue to walk through this wonderful hall of faith. And we'll focus on verse 23 only today, but I want to read 23 to 28 just to get the context. Let's hear the Word of the Lord together. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word, the way you teach us through it, the way your spirit helps us understand it. We know that we have no right to even speak to you in and of ourselves in our flesh, but we're so thankful that your son paid for our sin. He gave his life so that we might be brought into your family and commune with you. Father, that's what we want this morning. We want to draw near to you in worship, in faith, gathered around your word as covenant people of God. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, encourage us, help us trust you even more. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a confession to make, start things off. Being a godly parent is hard, (laughs) right? It's difficult. It's really, really challenging. Now please don't get me wrong, I love being a dad. There are very few things in life that has brought me as much blessing as being a father. But there's also very few things that have brought me as many headaches as being a father as well. Sometimes, at least for me, being a godly parent can feel pretty much impossible. Not just to train our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as it says in Ephesians, right? But just to do the basic things, like keep them alive, Keep them well-fed or figure out where all their shoes went. What in the world is up with that? You took them off. You should know where they were. But that's parenting, right? Now, look, I'm not a gambling guy, but I would be willing to bet that I'm not the only parent who struggles. I'd be willing to bet that there are parents here who have come to the end of their rope recently. There are parents here who are frustrated. No matter how many books we read, no matter how many classes we take or who we seek advice from, No matter how much we focus on the family, it's still difficult. Discipling sinful human beings as sinful fallen human beings ourselves is a tremendous struggle. And to be honest, it's not a struggle that a lot of us expected. I remember before I was a parent thinking, you know what? I'm going to be an amazing dad. I'm going to be the parent that teaches all these other parents that don't know what they're doing, how it's done. They're all going to be looking up to me. It honestly didn't take me more than five minutes to realize how ignorant and foolish I was. And honestly, the longer I become a parent, the more I can relate to that famous quote Before I got married, I had six theories and no children. Now I have six children and no theories. I think every parent gets there eventually. So, what do we do? As Christian parents, what do we do with the struggle? How can we parent well? How can we honor the Lord in discipling and caring for our kids in a fallen, sinful world as fallen, sinful creatures ourselves with fallen, sinful children? How do we do this well and honor the Lord? How do we parent by faith? Well, these are great questions, and the Bible does have answers to these questions, but not the answers that we typically want. As parents, we want solutions. We want principles for living. Help me to fix my problem right now. Help me find a solution to this issue right now. The Bible doesn't do that, does it? It doesn't give us a checklist for Christian parenting as much as Christian bookstores might. Instead, God essentially tells us in his word over and over again, look, I hear your questions. Those are great questions. Let me tell you a story. Isn't that how God works? God's communicating over and over. Look, I don't drop principles for living from the sky. I communicate my truth and reveal myself in human history through real people just like you. And so I'm not just going to tell you what to do. Let me show you. Let me show you what parenting by faith looks like in a fallen world. And that's what we have actually here in Hebrews 11 verse 23. Now this one little bitty verse is in no way a comprehensive guide to parenting. There are plenty of other scriptures to go to. But this is a wonderful example of parenting by faith. A wonderful example of faithful parenting. I know some of you are already thinking, oh, parenting, seriously? (laughs) Come on, I guess I'm tuning this one out. (laughs) Some of you kids might be thinking, look, I'm not a parent. I'm not going to be a parent anytime soon. In fact, I don't even want to be a parent. And I get that. I know that feeling. But the reality is, every one of us has parents. It's helpful for us to know what they're going through. Plus, odds are you will be a parent one day, whether you want to right now or not. And if you're part of the family of God, then each and every one of us is called on to disciple those younger than us in this kind of parental role someday. So no one can tune out here. <laughs> no one's off the hook. The Bible has something to say to all of us this morning, even though the focus is on parenting. So as we dive into chapter 11, again, we need to remember that Hebrews 11 is part of this bigger book that is acting as a word of encouragement. This has been a word of encouragement, as it says at the very, very end, to these Hebrew Christians who are in real danger of abandoning the faith of walking away from Jesus because of persecutions and trials and suffering. And the writer over and over is saying, look, you need to endure. You need to hang in there because it will all be worth it. As bad as it can be right now, at the end you receive Christ. You'll be found in him for all of eternity. And so endure in faith, and we've seen many examples of that already, haven't we? Through this chapter 11, we looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah, and last week we finished up our section on the book of Genesis and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And now, as you might have noticed, we turn our attention to the book of Exodus and the towering figure of faith that is Moses. And so, as we look at Moses, we'll find in these next couple weeks, Moses is a tremendous example of faith. Tremendous example. Next to Abraham, he's probably the most prolific figure of faith in the Old Testament. I mean, he, by faith, risked everything to stand up to Pharaoh to save the people of God from slavery, probably the greatest act of redemption really in the Old Testament. Hebrews 3 says that he is a faithful servant in the house of God and even a type of the Christ who is to come. And all that to say about Moses, it's incredible to me that when the author begins the story of Moses, he doesn't start with Moses. Who does he start with? He starts with Moses' parents. Do you notice that? Look at verse 23. It says, By faith Moses when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So whose faith is this talking about? I know it can be kind of tricky because it says, by faith, Moses. But look, Moses didn't hide himself for three months as a baby. It didn't happen. This is his parents' role, by faith, protecting this child, caring for him even at a young age. And that's what his parents were doing here. They were caring for him. So why in the world is the author focusing on his parents when he's talking about Moses at the end of the day? Well, it's as if the author is telling us, look, the story of Moses' faith doesn't start with Moses. If you want to understand Moses, if you want to understand the man of faith who he would become, then you have to look at what kind of parents he came from. You have to look to their faith. And he's not implying here that faith is just inherited, it's just automatically passed down, but he is implying that Moses' great faith was learned from his parents, as we will see as we go through this passage. So if that's the case, what can we learn as parents ourselves? What can we learn about what parenting should look like in a fallen world? What does parenting by faith actually look like? And so I want to draw your attention to three things in this one little verse. That's first of all, we'll see the faith, that faith itself, their faith obeys God. Faith obeys God. Secondly, that faith trusts God. And third, that faith doesn't fear man. So faith obeys God, trusts God, trusts God and doesn't fear man. That's what we'll see with these godly examples of faith. So let's look back at verse 23 as we look at the faith that obeys God. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now the writer here is referring to a great story. In fact, let's go there. Exodus chapter 2. Keep your finger in Hebrews. We're coming back. Exodus chapter 2 is what he's referring to here in this kind of famous but almost infamous and terribly sad story as well surrounding Moses' birth. Now, many of you might remember this story. In fact, last week, I kind of talked about it just a little bit. If you remember, Exodus 1 starts with a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph, right? It's been 300 years since Joseph and God's people are growing, they've been blessed by God. They're holding on to the promises as they're holding on even to the bones of Joseph, remembering God and his faithfulness, but not Pharaoh. Pharaoh has forgotten Joseph and forgotten God, and now this great nation that's growing is a threat, a threat that he can no longer ignore. And so he comes up with three solutions to his Israel problem. The first one is slavery. He tries to oppress the people, turn them into slaves. It doesn't work. In fact, God's people grow even more, which is extremely frustrating to Pharaoh, if you would imagine. And so he gets a little bit more direct, and he goes to the midwives, the woman delivering the babies of Israel, and says, I'm going to introduce a subtle form of infanticide tells these women, look, if you're delivering these babies and if they're a girl, then she can live. If they're a boy, you need to kill him immediately. Thankfully, these godly midwives feared God and not Pharaoh. They trusted God and actually Israel continued to grow. And so Pharaoh decided to take his final solution to the next level and to put mass murder into law. He commanded all of Egypt to take every Hebrew baby boy and throw them into the Nile River. He wasn't being subtle or trying to introduce some kind of quiet, undercover plan here. This unspeakable act was now the law of the land, and anyone who disobeyed this law faced death. Let's be clear. This is an act of war against God by disgracing his image and dishonoring his people and his commands. This is an act of war against God Almighty, and that's where we pick up our story in chapter 2 of Exodus. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. Oh, this would be such wonderful news. Evidence of God's blessing, God's care for his people under most times. But in the shadow of this horrible law by Pharaoh, this great news probably feels like a curse. And this family is going to have to choose whether to kill this baby or to face death themselves. Please pay attention to this choice here. It's to obey God or to obey Pharaoh. It's important we make this distinction here because this is not merely just an act of defiance. It's not just an act because they don't like Pharaoh, they don't like Newsom's, I mean, Pharaoh's laws. They just don't like what's going on. They don't like his character. They don't agree with him. So they're just going to make his life hard. See, a lot of Christians are doing that this day. No, Pharaoh here has put sin into the law of the land. He made it illegal to be fruitful and multiply, as God commanded. And so their choice was either to sin by obeying Pharaoh or to obey God by faith. And let's see what they did. Look at the end of verse 2. When she saw that he was a fine child, a beautiful child, as it says in Hebrews, she hid him for three months. That's that incredible act of faith there, but that's not where the story ends. Look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold... The baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? I know just the one. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. From one minute sending her kid to die on the river, being paid to raise him isn't god incredible so the woman took the child and nursed him when the child grew older she brought him to pharaoh's daughter and he became her son she named him moses because she said i drew him out of the water oh what an incredible story what an incredible picture of faith it's no wonder the writer of the book of hebrews points to this passage as an example of faith for us to follow but you notice, he actually only really refers to verse 2 in Hebrews, when they hid Moses for three months. It's part of the story, but he focuses specifically on that. Well, what makes that act specifically a wonderful act of faith? I mean, it's just three months. Most likely, it was much longer than that, wasn't it? I mean, think about this. We know this process. When would the hiding have to begin? Well, it would have to begin long before Moses was born, probably even during the pregnancy. You have to be careful who she told. This is Jochebed. We don't hear her name even in Hebrews, but her name we find out later in Exodus. She might have been showing and had to dress differently or at least go into hiding in some way. So their faith to protect Moses kicked in even before he was born. And then on that big day when that came, they would have to somehow have this baby in secret. I don't know about you, and you women can attest to this, but pain and childbearing is real from what I can tell. <laughs> I don't know how in the world you would do this in secret. I have no clue how that happens. Or quiet? No way. How in the world did they do that? Well, they did it by faith, and somehow they were able to have this baby, and then to top it all off, they have a newborn who they have to keep quiet, or they'll die. Anybody tried to keep a newborn quiet? Some of you are trying to do it right now. And it's one thing to do it for an hour during a service, but for day after day, night after night, for months trying to hide a baby, it just seems impossible. And the risk they're taking here is just, it's just incredible. Because look, if they were caught with this baby, it wouldn't just be that the baby would die. They probably would be put to death along with their other kids. They also had two other kids, Miriam and Aaron. We saw Miriam in the story. Their whole family would be wiped out because they disobeyed this order. So this family was risking it all by faith for this little baby boy. Why in the world would they do such a thing? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because this is what God's people do. God's people are the kind of people who risk and obey no matter the cost. We've seen that in Hebrews 11, haven't we? We see that all throughout Scripture. Think of Daniel 3 in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the fiery furnace. You remember what they say? Look, our God is able to save us from this fire, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to obey him. We're not going to bow down to these idols. They trusted in God by faith, even in the face of death. Or what about the apostles in Acts 5 when they're in front of the Sanhedrin and they're basically told, look, if you keep preaching the gospel, we're going to beat you, which they did, we're going to imprison you, which they did, and eventually you are going to be killed, which they were. Do you remember what they said? We must obey God rather than man. You see, for God's people, obedience isn't really just a choice. It's a calling. It's what we do. We live by faith in the promises of God no matter what the cost is. So what about you? What about us? Who are we listening to? Who are we obeying when times get tough? How would your kids answer that question for you, by the way? Would they say, our home obeys the word of God no matter what it costs? Or would they say, our home obeys our government, our president, our home obeys reason, logic, facts, science. Our home obeys people that we trust, family and friends. Surprisingly, all the ones that agree with me. Or they say our home obeys when it's convenient, when it doesn't hurt our lifestyle, our reputation, our schedule, or our bottom line. When it fits into our preferences or our strength, when it costs us pretty much nothing, that's when we obey. Brothers and sisters, we're called to so much more than that. We're called to obey God no matter the cost. But just because that obedience is costly it doesn't mean it's always radical or exciting. It's not always fighting against Pharaoh or fighting an injustice, especially as parents. As parents, obedience can look incredibly and even frustratingly normal and ordinary, can't it? It can be getting up early to come from church so you have time with the people of God. Be putting down your phone at the dinner table so you can read the word of God to your kids. Be praying with your kids, praying for your kids. Loving them, playing with them, teaching them about the world that God made. It can be repenting to your kids or repenting with your kids. It can be a little, minuscule task of obedience that pretty much nobody sees, that pretty much seems like it has no meaning at all in the grand scheme of things. But God sees every single one of those moments. God sees every single one of those acts of obedience done by faith. And God is at work in all of it. Moms, dads, dads, Please don't get discouraged by ordinary, faithful obedience in parenting. That's what God's called us to. So we've looked at the faith that obeys God. Now let's look at the motivation for that faith, the faith that trusts God. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. If you're still there, Hebrews 11, verse 23. And this is the motivation behind their obedience. This is why they did what they did. Eleven twenty-three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why? Because they saw that the child was was beautiful. Does that seem like a weird reason to you? Uh, he was just so beautiful, we couldn't go through with it. It's a good thing Moses was a cute kid, because otherwise, he was a goner. feel bad for all those ugly kids that got thrown in the Nile. Is that what's going on here? No, of course not. Well, maybe, is this just like a normal parental affection here? They saw that their child was so beautiful, they loved him so much that they just would be willing to sacrifice everything for him, as a lot of parents would. That may be partially true, but the weird thing is the writer of Hebrews ties this observation to the beauty of Moses to their faith. Did you notice that? By faith, they hid Moses, why? Because he was beautiful. So his beauty is somehow tied to their faith. How does that work? Well actually we can go to Acts 7 to figure that out. Turn to Acts 7, again we'll be back in Hebrews. Acts 7 as we look at the speech of Stephen. It's been a while since it's been in Acts, probably a few years at least. This is that great sermon by Stephen right before he was killed, before the Sanhedrin there. And as he walks his people through the history of Israel, much like we're doing here in Hebrews 11, he has an interesting way of describing the events that we're talking about, a way that will help us understand the connection that his parents were making. So Acts chapter 7, verse 17, listen to what Stephen says here, but as the time of the promise drew near, what promise is that? Which God granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied. So Stephen's talking about the Abrahamic promise here. The blessing of land, of a nation, of offspring, all these great blessings. But remember, there was one other blessing and promise given to Abraham in Genesis 15. He said that your people will be in a foreign land for 400 years. They'll be oppressed, and after 400 years they will be freed, and it will bring them back to the promised land. So Stephen's saying, it's been about 400 years, about time for that promise to come true, and what happens? Verse 18, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. That's where Moses' story begins, right in time for the promise. Verse 19, he dwelt shrewdly, that's Pharaoh, with our race, forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. Now listen to this. And he was beautiful. But look, in God's sight. Not just in his parents' sight, but he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So Stephen's trying to help us connect these dots here by saying this child is beautiful in God's sight. Well, what's he saying? We need to answer the question, well, what did Moses' parents actually know at this point? What was going on behind the scenes here? Well, they knew for sure that they were covenant people of God, and they knew the promises. In fact, they could go look at the bones of Joseph right then and there to remember those promises. They knew what God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they knew that it was about 400 years now, and Moses shows up right when the promise was supposed to be fulfilled. They knew that God would bring a deliverer. They knew Genesis 3.15 in the sense that the seed of the woman would be the one to crush Satan. And so they're looking for a child, looking for this new baby, and they were from the family of Levi. Did you notice that in the story? That's the high priestly tribe. The tribe, if there's ever going to be a mediator, they're going to come from that family. And with all these facts, all these amazing truths coming together at one point, they also knew supernaturally, it seems, that this child was beautiful, not just to them, but to God. So what's happening here is by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and by faith, they understood that there was something important about this child, that God had big plans for this little baby that it was tied to redemption history. They actually believed, actually as it says in Acts 7 and in Hebrews, that this was no ordinary child. That's the way that the NIV translates it. This was no ordinary child. So what we have here is we have Moses' parents trusting in the promises of God, Just like all the patriarchs, they're looking through the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, looking for that greater country, that greater offspring. And their faith is being fueled by these promises. Now, did they know all the little details and how it would all figure itself out? No, they were trusting that God would send a deliver and that their son might be that one. It's no coincidence, by the way, that many years later, another son of promise was born. Another child that was not so ordinary. He would be born under a tyrannical king named Herod, who was killing off all the baby boys in Israel. And Mary and Joseph, by faith, would flee to Egypt to protect this little baby boy, trusting, just like Moses' parents, that he was no ordinary child. Only this time, Moses would grow up to save his people from Egyptian bondage, but Jesus would grow up to save his people from their sin. That's where their hope was, in the promises of God, in this great Redeemer, That's their hope. That's the only hope for the people of God, by the way. And the only hope for our children as well. That is the only hope we have for them. Look, parenting, it's not easy, but it is simple. It's incredibly simple. Our job at the end of the day in being godly parents is to give them Jesus, to trust in Jesus ourselves for the forgiveness of our sins, and preach that gospel as often as we possibly can to them. I know we're not going to do that perfectly, but that's the point. We're not their Savior. We're not the one who redeems them from their sin. That's Jesus. So our job is to point to him on good days and bad days, through obedience and even through repentance. And that's all that matters really at the end of the day is that we give them Jesus. We teach our kids to trust in his finished work alone, as Moses' parents did. And so we've seen the obedience of faith and the trust of faith. Now let's look lastly at the faith that doesn't fear man. Back in Hebrews 11, verse 23. I'll just start in the beginning to get the full context again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And here's another reason. They were not afraid of the king's edict. This is a very interesting way to finish up this verse because I know even for me, I would be terrified. Pharaoh was afraid of Israel, but the midwives feared God and obeyed. Moses' parents feared God and not Pharaoh and obeyed. The interesting part here is that this almost feels like a result of their faith, doesn't it? Like the fruit of their faith. They were trusting in these promises. They were looking by faith to Christ through these wonderful promises. And what was the result of that? They no longer feared death. They no longer feared Pharaoh, this most powerful man in the world. They no longer even feared what would happen to their child. I mean, those three months were an amazing act of faith. But what did they do after those three months? They put their child in a basket and floated them down the river. Some of us won't even let our kids cross the street. But they were willing to let their child go to a pagan king, to be raised in an Egyptian house, to go to Egyptian schools. How dare they? They essentially said goodbye to their son after a few short years, trusting that God would do more than they could possibly ever imagine that's exactly what happened look at hebrews 11 verse 24 this is where we're headed in the next couple weeks but let me give you a preview verse 24 by faith moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of god than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he chose to obey rather than sin sounds familiar he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was trusting in the promises. Sounds familiar too. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt. Now check this out. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. I wonder where he learned that. For he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Did you catch the similarities? Moses didn't fear Pharaoh. Moses trusted God. And Moses obeyed. Miraculously, despite Pharaoh's worst efforts, despite all the uncertainties, despite all the fears and all the horrible things that could have happened, God was at work. God saved Moses. And God saved Israel through Moses. And God saved the world through Israel. How in the world can something this messy turn out that way? Well, Because it's in the hands of God Almighty. The one who can accomplish all of his holy will the one who was both great and good. Brothers and sisters, we serve the same God, don't we? And look, there's no guarantee that our kids will trust him by faith, that they will eventually be saved. Faith isn't inherited. God saves whomever he wills, but our God is also a God of means. And he delights in saving his children through godly parents. He delights in hearing the prayers of a parent for their children. He delights in pointing to the gospel through the lives of their parents. Brothers and sisters, parents, don't live in fear. Wondering, how do I protect my kids from this evil world? Wondering, will my kid ever really walk with the Lord? Will they ever truly trust God by faith? What will happen one day when they leave my home? What will happen one day when I'm not around? Trust in your heavenly Father's care for your kids. He loves them more than you. He gave them to you. He can and will care for them better than all of us. So trust in his perfect plan like Moses' parents. Obey without fear. Trust in him who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for these godly parents who are not just our example, but they also were used by you to accomplish great things. Even, Lord, as they almost go unnamed in history, we're so thankful that you worked through unnamed parents that you bring about faith in simple and ordinary ways. We pray for our kids, for this church, Lord, for all of us, that we would trust you by faith. We would obey, leaning on your promises in the finished work of Christ who died in our place so that we may not have fear, so that we may honor you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.